0: Hebrews chapter 10 has been really at the forefront of, of my thinking for a week or two. One of those wee moments where it, it just came three times in about 24 hours. Um, I was over at, uh, with a group of other leaders at, at the Tabar network over in Lurgan. And it was shared there on a Wednesday night. And then on the Thursday morning it was in my reading plan. And then later on the on the Thursday, it came in an email from um, just like a a daily devotional that that comes a wee brief thing that comes uh, from Rick Warren every day. I don't know if you've ever listened to Rick Warren. It's very easy to dismiss somebody because they lead a mega church. Rick Warren's amazing. (laughs) He's an incredible teacher incredibly intelligent man and a really amazing communicator. I sort of, I wish I had more time to, to listen to him. But this this came just in a little brief uh, devotional email that he sends out every day. And I started to think about it. And then I realized that there were a few others in the church. As I chatted to a couple of people, I realized a few other people, this this passage as well was, was coming to them a lot. So let's, um, let, let's take a look at it. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 25. And probably won't... Sort of go far outside of these six or seven <clears throat> verses this morning the The heading for this paragraph is in, in the NIV is a call to to persevere. therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, just in this place of rest this morning and stillness, let your word just gently but powerfully Sink into our hearts and achieve the purpose for which you have sent it, Lord. Let your Holy Spirit have free reign here in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, This is one long sentence in the original language, Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. Just one long, unbroken sentence. You get that a lot in the New Testament. And we start off with this sense of having access. It says in verse 19, we have confidence and your Bible might say we have access, which the, the word can be translated either way. But he's, he's, what the writer is doing is he's contrasting prior to Jesus, we didn't have access. Prior to Jesus, once a year, a high priest went into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God, on a fixed day, by a fixed method, using you know, a sacrifice. He had, he had one, one person one day a year had access. The rest did not have access. The rest stood at a distance. But the writer now is telling us that we have access. And the reason we have access in verse 19 is by the blood of Jesus. Never, ever get tired of talking about the blood of Jesus. Never never let it slip in, in, its, in its priority in our lives. Because of his blood, we have access into the presence of God. And we are so familiar with that, that we can allow the, the glory and the wonder of it very easily to sort of pass us by. Because we've never had to go through all these rituals to be in the presence of God. But Jesus, because of his blood, has given us access. And not only his blood, but if you read verse 20, it says that a new and living way has been opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And when you see blood and body, then you're at communion. And Paul does this as well in in 1 Corinthians and in other places. You just will see blood and body together in the same verse or within a couple of verses of each other. And all of a sudden you realize you're being brought to the table. You're having communion set in front of you. And the the communion table is probably in view here. Do you know, I, I think we are most the church when we break bread together of all of the things that that we do as a church, all of the non-negotiable things that a church does, a community of faith in terms of of God's word and praise and prayer, I think we are most the church, if that's a, a phrase to use, when we are remembering Jesus together. Be that over a meal, be that as we will do it this morning here, whatever it is. And I know this is happening in other places as well. An increase in frequency in communion. An increase in frequency. We're, we're doing communion here every Tuesday night when we gather to pray. Starting to wonder, should we do it every single Sunday morning? We have the meal once a month, but should we be having these emblems out every Sunday morning? Should we be, should we be increasing the prominence of this in our lives? should you be keeping a a carton of grape juice or a bottle of slur in the fridge and a few baps in the cupboard and whenever a few other believers are around the house with you and you're having an evening together you just say right let's let's break bread we don't need a priest and we don't need a minister and we don't need anything we just gather around the body and the blood because that is how we enter into the presence of god It's it's just throughout the New Testament and in the book of Acts, whenever the church is described in their practices and in their habits, they're described as a people who break bread together daily with incredible frequency. They are breaking bread together and they're coming and remembering the Lord and eating together. And I think the frequency of this is important because Jesus has set this out as the way by which we remember him. You know, he had that that night that he was betrayed and many things that he said and taught about the Holy Spirit, in particular in John's gospel, and many things that he could have put in place that were important for remembering him. He did not say, when you're remembering me, get together and listen to sermons. (laughs) But don't misunderstand me. The word of God is non-negotiable in the church. This is sermon number 197 at table. Yeah. And there were over 200 Friday night Bible studies over the years. And there were over 100 sermons preached at a, at a church that we came from when we planted this and still have tremendous friendship with. The Word of God is very important. Okay. It's vital. And praise is vital. Okay. It's non-negotiable. We, we can't just leave it out or push it to one side. We're commanded in Scripture to sing and make melody in our hearts and praise the Lord in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs but when jesus said there's something i want you to do to remember me he gave us a table he gave us a meal he gave us emblems and he says that's it that's it and when we are gathered around that we are probably more church than at any other point i was thinking if if some morning you arrive down here and maybe i'm laid up in bed with a flu and can't get anyone else to share, and maybe iron's laid up in bed and can't sing, and maybe Stephen can't fill in, and, and, and you know, these things are gone. This is still here. You understand? We're not church when we listen to sermons or church when we sing songs. We're church when we're round the table together. That's when we are most church, not to diminish those other things. And it is, according to the writer of Hebrews, it is by Jesus' blood and by his body that we have entered that way has been made for us to go into the presence of god i'm getting just more and more obsessed with the presence of god Mm -hmm. i want to be in his presence i want his presence to dwell among his people we've used the illustration various members of the church as have shared in this past year and the illustration of the the living stones and when we gather those stones form a building a temple which is a spiritual dwelling, and God's presence is there. And it's wonderful. It's wonderful. So it is body and blood that have brought us into his presence. And he says as well in verse 20, I'm just going to tease this passage apart this morning. I'm not, I have no plans to really do anything else. There, but he says in verse 20, it's a new and living way. It's not just that Jesus has gone into the presence of God because of the cross, that, he has, that the veil in the temple was torn and that Jesus went in and we all stood outside and waited for him to come back, like the high priest would have done in the Old Testament. He went in and it's almost, you know, I don't mean it to be a, a sort of flippant or a comical thing, but it's almost as if he went in and then he turns around and says, come on, <laughs> come on. The way has been made clear. And we can go into the presence of God. And the Christian life is frequently in the New Testament described as a way. That seems to be how they refer to it in the early church. The way, the people of the way. We're journeying somewhere. We're pilgrims on a journey. There's a beautiful song that I'll maybe share with you this afternoon by a guy called Jason Upton. And um, it's a song, it's about bread and wine. It's about, it's called Every Table is an Altar. And there's a line in the song says we're all pilgrims on a journey we're journeying the bread and the wine the body and the blood has has allowed us to go in on this way into the presence of god and continue this pilgrimage so we've got we've got access in verses 19 and 20. and then in verse 21 says we have a great priest over the house of god And again, the house of God, don't let that become something in your mind that is distant and far away. Oh, that's talking about heaven. No. In Hebrews chapter 3, a bit further back in verse 6, it says, Christ is is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house. So there is a great priest over the house of God, and we are the house of God. So there's, there's two things that the writer to Hebrews wants us to see before he gets into the application. He wants us to see that we have access because of Jesus' body and blood, and that we have a great priest over the house of God. And then there's a, there's a hinge, and Paul does this as well. He does this, Paul does this in Romans 12. Lots of theology and weighty stuff for 11 chapters and then a hinge and boom, this is how you live. Because of what God has done, now this is how you live. He does it in Ephesians as well as we saw last year. You've got three chapters of just looking at the glorious things that God has done where you just sit back and take it all in and then at the start of chapter 4, bang, this then is how you live. And the writer of the Hebrews is following the same pattern. The writer of the Hebrews has given us Ten chapters, nine and a half chapters of weighty, weighty stuff about Jesus, about what he did and who he is. And then comes the hinge in verse 19 of chapter 10. Therefore, here's the swing. Because of all that God has done in Christ, here's what we are going to do. And he goes on and he says three things. In verse 22, he says, let us draw near to God. Now This has been building up and building up for nine and a half chapters, all of this wonder about who Jesus is. And what the writer to Hebrews does over and over again is, is he pitches Jesus as being better than everything that has gone before. Everything that's gone before is a type, is a shadow pointing to him. He is better, he is better, he is better, he is better. And because of all of this, what are we going to be called to do? We're called to draw near to God. We're then called to hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. And we're then called to consider how we may spur one another on. Those three things. Because of everything that's gone before, let us draw near to God. Let us hold fast to the hope we profess. And let us consider how we may spur one another on. you see that drawing near in verse 22? That's another word for worship, I think an invitation. It's it's plural and it's really important. This is not just an exhortation for you to have a better prayer life. When when the writer says, let us draw near to God, he's not just saying, get more serious about your daily devotions. Those are vital. Those are non-negotiable. But this is a letter to a community in plural, and he's saying to that community, because of what Jesus has done, let us together draw into the presence of God. Let us not neglect that. Let us not slip away from that, but let us together come through the veil into his presence. And there are four things that he says are true of us as we, as we approach God's presence. You ever, have you ever felt unworthy regularly? <laughs> you know, Have you ever... And ever had something in your mind and think, you know, surely I can't access the presence of God because of that. There are four things that he goes on to say as, as he invites us to draw near to God. You know, let, let, that, let that phrase in your mind, those words when you say, let us draw near to God, let, let that just be, be in your head. Let's worship together. Not just sing together, but let's worship together. And let's eat together and let's be together in his presence Four things that he says after that. He says, first of all, with a sincere heart. A sincere heart. A true heart. Now, he's, he's written twice about this already. He's quoting Jeremiah. If you just rock up a wee bit in chapter 10 to verse 17 of Hebrews. Um, verse 16, sorry. He quotes, he quotes Jeremiah and he says, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. He says that again in chapter 8. He's quoting Jeremiah 31. One of the things, church, that we must understand about the gospel is the transformation of the heart. I'm really, really agitated about this quite frequently. Um, and I was sitting, we were sitting on Sunday night trying to communicate this to the guys that are coming in for, for table 2. We're going through John's gospel. And in John chapter 1, John the Baptist is speaking And he says two things, and I have in my Bible, I've got written beside this, the reasons for the incarnation, the reasons that Jesus came. John says that he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And then John says a few verses later, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Two reasons. And we're trying to to explain to these guys last Sunday night and saying, listen, the gospel has, has these two aspects to it. Jesus came to take away sin. But so often that's where the gospel stops for people, and that is not the whole story. He came to take away sin, to to purchase a people for God, to redeem us, and he came to baptize us with the Holy Spirit, which then transforms our hearts, okay? So the Christian life is not a life of having your past wiped away and then doing your best from now on. It's a life of having your sin taken away and paid for and then being transformed by the Holy Ghost. So you live it. And the way I explained it to them, I said, listen, I don't have to keep the Ten Commandments. I want to. Do you understand the difference? I don't have to do it out of fear of punishment. I want to. Because the heart is transformed. Yeah? So the writer to the Hebrews says that we, we draw near with a sincere heart, a true heart. Church, your hearts are being transformed. Your hearts have been transformed. It's a work of the Holy Ghost. He also says that we are in full assurance of faith. You can't muster up faith. Faith has to have an object. And what the writer to Hebrews has done is he's given us nine and a half chapters of Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Better than Moses, better than Joshua, better than the temple and the tabernacle, the sacrifices. Better, better, better. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's how faith comes. Faith by having an object, and the more you're obsessed with King Jesus, the more faith arises. The more time you spend with Him, the more faith arises. The more you hear His voice, and as that voice of God comes to you, faith arises. So we approach and we draw near with a sincere heart, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled, referring back to what would happen to the priests in the Old Testament. And getting rid of guilt, sprinkled, past tense. We have had our hearts sprinkled. We are able to come into the presence of God without fear because of the body and the blood of Jesus. We're invited to draw near. Our hearts have been sprinkled. Most of us, if we're honest, we have things hanging over us that weigh heavy on our hearts. Things that we have done, things that we have said, maybe recently, maybe long ago, attitudes that we've held, things we regret. The writer to the Hebrews says, let us draw near, your hearts have been sprinkled. Don't allow the enemy to keep you out of the presence of God. And the fourth thing he says is that our bodies are washed with pure water, which I think is is probably a reference to, to baptism. Draw near, church, draw near. Don't just get excited about having a ticket. And then not go to the event. You understand? Don't don't just be celebrating the fact that we have access. Use that access and go into his presence. Corporately and individually. So that's the first thing he says. In light of everything that Jesus has done, let us draw near. Let us go into the presence of God. Second thing he says briefly is, is that we are, in verse 23, to hold on swervingly. Have you ever made a word up like that? Unswervingly. Let us hold fast. Let us stand firm. This church, these commun- this community of faith that he was writing to, the Hebrews, they are experiencing what you might call persecution fatigue. Have you ever experienced persecution fatigue? (laughs) Yeah, there's a whole pile of things wearing you down. The persecution fatigue that these people were facing was they had come out of Judaism into faith in Christ, into freedom, but they were being dragged back to the old ways of Judaism again. And that's the whole heart of the letter, summed up don't quit don't go back to those old ways. Christ has made a better way, a new way, a living way to come into the presence of God. Do not get dragged away from that. That's why he says in verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Let us stand firm in the gospel. Let us stand firm in Jesus and not get sucked back into Judaism again. Persecution, fatigue. These people were under incredible pressure to walk away from the church and go back into their old way of living. And the writer is very concerned to tell them to stand fast. And the, the third thing that he says in verse 24 is let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now, let me just slow down a wee bit here. This only happens in community. This only happens in community. You can't spur people on if you're trying to do the Christian life on your own. Only in community can we obey this. He says in, in verse 25, do not give up meeting together. Now get this, Please. <laughs> so important. Do not give up meeting together. Let me just say right up front, this is not a verse that you use to make people feel guilty about missing church, okay? That's not the point. It's not, oh, Fred has missed two Sundays out of the last five. Let's send this verse to Fred. No. In this context, Fred is under so much pressure for following Jesus that Fred is about to crack. Fred is under so much pressure for being part of this community of faith. He is, he's been you know, having pressure put on him from, from the, the Judaistic people that he works with, from his friends, maybe from his family. He's under such persecution to walk away from Jesus that Fred needs someone to send him a message and say, Fred, don't quit, mate. Don't quit. Keep gathering together with the people of faith. Do you get the difference? We're not just trying to make Fred feel bad because he missed church. We're saying to Fred, you've got to be in community. Not just Sunday morning, but you've got to be in, in deep, intimate connection with other believers, Fred, or you're not gonna make it. You're not gonna make it. Persecution fatigue will kick in. This is not just about negligence. When he says, don't give up meeting together, it's not just about negligence, it's not just about tiredness. It's about someone who's making, who's on the on the cusp of making a deliberate decision to quit because they're so wary of the pressure that they face for following Jesus and being part of a community of faith. That's what's going on. And one of the most dangerous things that we can do as believers or let others do is become isolated. You wonder why the Scriptures describe the enemy as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We don't watch many nature programs in our house because they're too traumatic for, for the children. But I, I really, I love them. I love, I love the, the beauty of the camera work, but there's, there's inevitably always that scene in all of them when you're just like, oh, please, don't let it die. <laughs> you know? But you watch these, these predators, mm-hmm. like a lion or something, just walking around the flock, around the herd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which one is slow? Which one's moving slowly? Which one's sick? Which one's getting a wee bit isolated from the rest? Bang. That's where the predator hits. We cannot allow ourselves to be separate from community. We will not make it. We're not as strong as we think we are. We're not as strong as we think we are. I spoke last week about the the selfishness that is nurtured by the culture that we're living in. It's all about me, 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 and what I need and what I want. And if we allow that to slip into our hearts in the church, we can get into a very dangerous place of thinking, I can make it on my own. I don't need others. And we can't. We can't. And we sometimes correctly make the statement that it's not about religion, it's about relationship. But we need to be careful that people don't then say, as long as you have a relationship with Jesus, you don't need the church. Because people could maybe misunderstand. We don't need dead religious routines, definitely not. But we cannot have that relationship with Jesus outside of community. You cannot obey the scriptures outside of community. You can't do it on your own. If you take the coal out of the fire, the coal will dim and it will go out. It will go out. It must be in community must be. So so the, the warning is given at in, in, in the, the start of verse 25, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Obviously in this church, in this community, some people, the persecution had got the better of them. They were just so weary of it that they had they had drifted away. But he says the way around that is encourage one another. <laughs> encourage one another. Can I just encourage you that everybody speaks well of you when we go out? It's like we family going out for breakfast yesterday morning and when somebody comes up to you and says, oh, you have lovely children, your children are very nice. People say that about, about you lot, you know. Two two different people said to me yesterday morning, You have a great bunch of people there. You've a great bunch of people. And I said, like, Yes, that's right. You've a great bunch of people. Encourage one another, exhort one another. If ever you need encouragement, it's whenever you're in that place of persecution fatigue where you're getting a hard time for being part of the community of faith. Whether that hard time comes from a human voice or comes just as as thoughts being assailed onto your mind by the enemy, you're getting a hard time, you're being persecuted and you're weary, you need encouragement. But that's the time when instinctively we tend to draw back (laughs) and we tend to isolate ourselves. And then there's a real battle begins to get back into into community. You never, ever reach a point in your faith, church, where you don't need other people. You never reach that point. So if you've been walking with God 20 years or 30 years and you think to yourself, oh, well, by now I should be able to stand alone. By now I should be able to deal with things myself and not actually get together with others and share them. That is not true. It is not correct. It is the enemy. You will always need community. You always need people around you to encourage you. Romans twelve verse eight, lift, or you know the few verses around verse eight lists some gifts of the Holy Spirit. One of them is encouragement. That's class. May we have all the gifts of the Holy Ghost, and may we have that one. May we encourage one another, and know how precious that is. Stop trying to process things yourself, church. Get over the that sense of guilt that you're burdening someone when you phone them and just say, Listen, I just need an hour to talk. (laughs) Can we just get can we just get together for an hour and just I just need to talk through some stuff. I just need to offload to somebody. Don't ever feel you're being a burden when you do that. That's what the church is meant to do. That's what the writer of the Hebrews is calling us to. Get together, encourage one another, strengthen one another. The word encourage means to put something into somebody's heart. You get together with them and you, you put away injection into their heart to keep them going. Discourage is to take something out of, out of their heart. When you're with someone, they discourage you. They just deflate your heart. Take something out of you and leave you feeling worse than, than you were when you came. I think sometimes we carry stuff and we carry it for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And finally, when we're at absolute breaking point, we might talk to someone or else we'll break. Instead of just saying, listen, I know you're busy. I don't want to come around and spend the whole evening at your house. I don't. Yeah, I just, can, can we have an hour? I just need to, I just need to offload. But I think we're bad at doing that because we think, well, I'm meant to be mature and I, I should be able to process this and I shouldn't have to offload. I shouldn't have to go seeking encouragement, but you do. Go and seek encouragement and seek to encourage others. You know, one of the things, when, when Linda was away uh, in India, she'd been away about <coughs> five or six days at this point, and, and I was over at, at Daniel and Charlene's for dinner, and the dinner was delightful. But you see the thing that I needed was just conversation. I needed encouragement. I needed to have people around me. I was getting real lonely. <laughs> you know. I, I year—I couldn't believe after about three or four days. Just how much I was yearning to have someone to, to offload to and to talk to. Really yearning for it. Folks, we're designed like this. We need this. Don't feel guilty about saying the text. And saying, I want to come over. I need to talk. I need built up. I wonder did Barnabas write Hebrews? Some people reckon he did, because Barnabas was was the the son of encouragement. That was his ministry. Some people think that he, that he that he wrote this because the book is so much about encouraging these people. Don't quit! Don't quit! Don't go back! Keep going! Keep encouraging one another. We need more golden time in the church. Golden time is a good thing. Golden time is a, is a primary school thing. Yeah it is it's a good thing whenever kids have got their work done and they've been good and they've behaved themselves and they've got their wee star stickers on the chart or whatever they get golden time free time unstructured just to enjoy themselves just to be together and to do wee things together in the in the church i sometimes think is golden time is is those times when we're just together yesterday morning was golden time we're just together And there's probably a heck of a lot of encouragement yesterday morning just by being together and chatting to each other and listening to each other. We need to have that in the church. We need to be careful that we don't have so many meetings that we neglect meeting together. Yeah, So many times that are structured and disciplined and following a rigorous order that there's not enough time to just actually meet together as the writer of the Hebrews is encouraging us to do. Proverbs 10, 21 says that the lips of the righteous nourish many. Who have you nourished this week with your lips? With your words? And who has nourished you? I don't say that to make you feel guilty because you've probably nourished and encouraged people and you haven't realized that you've done it just by listening to them, just by making a wee bit of time to be with them. You need to be careful about the voices that come into your life. Are you bringing in encouraging voices or discouraging voices? Proverbs twelve twenty six says, A righteous man is cautious in friendship. And I love what Nehemiah does whenever the, the guys come to him to try and discourage him from the work that he's involved in. He's building this wall. He's doing what God has called him to do. He's put together a community to do it with them. And these couple are flipping pains in the butt. Sanballat and Tobiah. They keep showing up. And they come with letters and they come with complaints and they come with mockery. And Nehemiah does a brilliant thing where they, they want them to come down from the wall and talk to him. All they want to do is discourage him. All they want to do is pull something out of his heart and leave him deflated. And he, just, he doesn't even go down himself. He sends his assistant, <laughs> the ultimate put-down. He sends his assistant, and he says, I'm doing a great work, and I can't come down. In other words, there's a priority list, guys, and you're not on it. I'm not making time for you to pull something out of my heart. You've come to criticize. You've come to hurt. You've come to, 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 to hinder the work, and I'm not listening. I'm going to surround myself with encouragers. Surround myself with those who strengthen the heart and speak words of life. Eugene Peterson says, there can be no maturity in the spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life, apart from an immersion in and embrace of community. And I don't want you to think I'm just talking about Sunday mornings. I'm not. You've missed the point if you think I'm just talking about Sunday mornings. I'm talking about a lifestyle of seeking to encourage others and seeking others when you need encouragement. Jesus, because of his body and his blood at the start of the passage, has made a way for us to go on this pilgrimage journey to go into the presence of God and to journey throughout our lives closer to God until we are in his immediate presence. And in light of what Jesus has done by his body and blood, we are encouraged to draw near to God, corporately to enter into his presence and worship, to stand fast in the midst of persecution fatigue when there are voices that are criticizing and trying to pull us away from the community of faith, and to consider how we might encourage one another. Drive one another on towards love and good works. Every Christian needs the encouragement of every other Christian. We can't do this alone. And I do think that the frequency with which those verses have been kicking around in the air this past couple of weeks means that this is something we need to just think about. I to Tim earlier, every now and again I just feel God sometimes... Just, just a wee sort of tap on the shoulder. Remember who you are as a community. Remember the things that define you. Remember the things that that not not that they're unique to you. That they that aren't present in all, other communities as well. Of course they are. But remember the things that define who you are, and focus on those things. And don't neglect those things or you will lose that sense of identity of who God has called you to be. So do not neglect meeting together. Do not neglect meeting together. Make time for it, make space for it, and seek to encourage one another. Amen. We're going to sing uh, one song and then we're going to break bread and come to that.